The Green Chair is brought to you by you for you. To support The Green Chair, please visit our website and purchase a lip balm at thegreenchair.com.au. The Green Chair would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we have recorded this podcast and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. The Green Chair is produced on Wiradjuri Country. Welcome to the fourth episode of The Green Chair. I am your host, Denny Maidens, and thank you for joining me for this week's episode. The Green Chair is an inclusive space for regional women to connect, collaborate, and interact with one another in a supportive environment. At The Green Chair, we believe connection, collaboration, and inclusion are essential, sharing the good, bad, and the ugly. In this week's episode, our fourth, I speak with Dr. Tess Ryan, a proud Indigenous woman of Biripai country in Taree, New South Wales. Dr. Ryan has a PhD in leadership and Indigenous women in Australia. Dr. Ryan's work incorporates a multidisciplinary approach, including work surrounding Indigenous women, media representation, Indigenous research and leadership diversity. So let's jump into it. My cultural country is Biripai, which is Tari, Port Macquarie area of New South Wales. But I wasn't born on country. So I grew up in Brisbane in the 80s and sort of moved to Canberra, I guess, in the 2000s. And previously to academic work, I worked in areas of like child protection, out-of-home foster care, aged care and sort of disability services. And, you know, when I started Going to university, I was really at a point where I guess I was at a kind of a crossroad. There was a lot going on in my personal life and, you know, it was really quite difficult. I was a single parent, had a number of health issues, was getting out of a, a DV situation and for the first two months of study, we were couch surfing, so we didn't have anywhere sort of stable to live. And I think that actually in many ways set me up for I guess sort of overcoming stuff and going okay well this sucks and it's hard uh, but I have to keep going because I realized you know how important the study was I guess at that time and I, I realized that I really enjoyed it so my undergraduate was in comms and media and you know over three years I realized that I was writing more articles about or essays about Aboriginal women and their representation in the media or Aboriginal policy maybe, you know, in political communication. And so it was sort of apparent to me that that was where I wanted to go and did quite well in that degree and then did an honours in, uh, I guess, political engagement of Aboriginal people. Uh, And then my PhD was in Aboriginal women's and leadership in Australia. And I think from then on, you know, I've been doing things that I find I'm really passionate in. So I'll talk about health and health equity, uh, not just for Aboriginal people, but for lots of different population groups. I've done work in Aboriginal research, curriculum building, race, and I've done some work on violence against Aboriginal women as well. So I tend to go where the wind takes me, but I find that that is, for me, the best use of my time and my talents, I guess, because then I know I'll give my all into whatever I'm working on that makes sense research and working what you're obviously passionate about and what you believe needs more visibility and things like that and I think that helps a whole range of 
people, but it also sheds light on challenges and issues that maybe weren't discussed previously to you doing this type of work. So I think it's very beneficial. You know, if you sort of encapsulate all of that, and I've thought about this a lot lately, is what I like to talk about is, or what I like to do in my work is around voice, I guess. And by voice, I mean starting to acknowledge, herald, recognise, you know, and bring light to different areas that may not be seen or spoken about. So whether that be the power of Aboriginal women and the things that they do, you know, in leading, or whether it be in the silence that we see with regards to violence against Aboriginal women, or the silence that we see in, you know, health access and equity, especially for areas, you know, in regional areas and for other population groups. I think that kind of encapsulates it all. So bringing those stories out into the open, I think, is hugely important. Definitely time that we are having these conversations more open and honest about so we can hopefully create change and we don't want people to obviously go through things that we have or of our families have gone through. So having that conversations can hopefully help shift the narrative for the future, I think. Yeah, definitely. That's quite a lot you have done <laughs> and achieved and wow, it just casual in awe over here. But I guess, in your opinion, how do you believe we can help support regional Indigenous women to feel more connected inclusively? It's important to know what's going on. Like, I guess if you're in a regional area, to know what's happening in your in your region and to seek those stories out. You know, what I found was fascinating with my PhD is most of the women that I interview, whether they be in high-profile positions or in positions you've never really heard of, that most of them said, oh, you know, we're not leaders, we're just getting stuff done. You know, we, we don't need to be claiming a leadership space. We're just, we just see a need and we're just getting it done. And I think that's a very, it strikes me as something that lots of people in regional areas, you know, consider because they can see, you know, whether they be Aboriginal or not, can see that there's gap. You know, my mother lives in a small country town in uh, New South Wales and, you know, the, the lack of access that she may have to health services is astounding. And that's not just she's not the only one you know so I think the nearest hospital to her is is an hour and a half away in Tamworth and you know she's quite an elderly woman so those sorts of conversations need to be had about what's missing in regional areas and then you find the people that are trying to get the work done in those areas despite you know what's what's lacking I think that for me was so important to talk about in my PhD that women were seeing that there was maybe not even access to effective water or effective programs for younger people in employment and so they were trying to do things to fix that and fill that gap so that was a really important aspect I think as well as women recognizing or, or stating openly that you know they don't need to claim the leadership role that's not why they're doing it they're doing it because it has intrinsic value to just get out there and make change happen so looking for those stories I think is of huge importance and getting to know those stories and the people that are behind them and building allyship and relationships with them, I think is great as well. Pretty much nearly covered the next question that I was going to ask you because, <laughs> and that was about 
how we can create change and impact. And it's really, I guess, starting at that, the beginning at the grassroots of what is it we need and how can we change those things to impact and shift the future at and like it is regional areas is definitely about services and how we can obtain them. It is that challenge that, you know, if you've got to travel, that also limits people to be able to, if you're elderly or if you can't drive or if you have a disability or the access mm-hmm. to services and if you don't have a supportive, you know, environment around you, how can you obtain those things if you don't have the tools to help you in the first place? So there is quite a few barriers, I guess, in that as well it's an interesting conundrum you know my mother often talks about the fact that if she moved to a more populated area or a capital city she would have access to all that services what she wouldn't have is a community Mm. and you know she's so fortunate that she has and I would hope that other people in regional areas have that sort of sense of community around them and really the basis of I think building any community or building any relationship with people is to start to have conversations you know we we've especially since you know the pandemic has come and you know has sort of dwindled out a little bit we've forgotten about that face-to-face interaction and how vital it is so often it's not the changes obviously happen in the macro sense the big sense but it's that micro level of building relationships with people and having conversations with people that I think is the first step and really really important you know otherwise you, you move to capital cities and you might have all the services but you don't have that that other support that is just about, you know, dealing with things like loneliness and feeling like someone's in your corner that's not necessarily a, a clinician, <laughs> you know, for health or, you know, a bus driver. You've actually got someone there that you can speak to. It's really important. No, no, you're 100% right. Like I grew up in Cobar and I moved to Sydney to get, you know, I thought it was a better life or whatever else. And I was able to access the medical facilities I needed and all those things. And, you know, I lived there for 10 years, but I felt yeah, like you said, very much alone. And I had friends and whatever else, but it's still not that sense of community. And I am that person when I walk down the street, I like to smile at people and I like to say hello Mm. and, and all of those things. And I really missed that connection with the community there. And, you know, I've moved to Dubbo now and it is the sort of balance. I'm still missing some things, obviously, but it is still that community that we look out for each other and all of those things. And it's still big enough that I can obtain most of my services, but it's still not necessarily my home where, Mm. and it, it is hard though, to have that balance between access, you know, community in the regions, I think it's it's a really really hard point. I think, but you know, I, I think, and it's really it's quite interesting because I think with regards to regional areas, you can almost break it down into this, you know, sort of regional areas like places like Dubbo, places like uh, you know Canberra is con- still considered regional. Uh, places like Albury, Wodonga that have access to services, but also are sort of small enough to still have some senses of community and and connection and you know really it's all about belonging you want to belong to the place in which you live and I think you know if you don't have that that feeling of belonging in community and you don't have those services you know that are meant to sort of 
so I guess scaffold that to make sure that you're you're safe, you're you know, you're housed, you're fed, you know, your your health services are there, then it can make for a really isolating experience. So you do need both. And I think regardless of whether they're Aboriginal or not, mm. it's often women <laughs> in these communities that are going, Well, hang on a minute, there's there's something missing here and you know, why aren't we getting out and talking to our old people or, you know, why isn't there access to this service? And they're trying to make something happen with regards to that. So I think that is amazing and I don't understand why it doesn't get talked about more, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess in, you know, previous things I've researched and you go down a, a rabbit hole, I guess, is looking at all the data and statistics of health outcomes for people living in the regions and our life expectancy mm. for living in the regions and education milestones and everything is so much more decreased and limited by living regionally. And it it's really, I guess for me, it's quite upsetting being a regional person, but I guess too, it's not talked about enough in that sense of that yes we live in the regions but why can't we have those facilities out here just because we don't live in a city it strikes me as absolutely ridiculous to be honest with you that we've set you know the country up as being first and foremost all living on on the edge you know living sort of on the on the on the edge of the country basically so we've gone oh well you know these are the cities where or the areas where we need to focus our populations now, as time's gone on, that hasn't served us very well because obviously people don't necessarily want to live, you know, right near the ocean. They might want to live somewhere else. They might want to, you know, live in a remote area. That might be their, you know, for Aboriginal people, it might be their cultural country. So they're not going to want to leave there. And we have all this population growth. Why hasn't the infrastructure followed that? Why haven't we invested more in those areas where uh, people want to move to and they want to stay living in? It strikes me as a, a real flaw, I guess, in government policy not to see that that's needed. And that's why you have, you know, grassroots community people, a lot of them women, trying to eradicate that or fill some space, whether it be things like, you know, patient transport. You know, if you hear of people setting up community buses to get to pick people up to get them to their medical appointments. I mean, where would we be without that? I even had that as a, a, a person that had health problems living in Canberra and, and you know there's buses and things but if you're unwell you're not going to get on a bus and travel to the other side of town for a medical appointment so having those sorts of often volunteer based run on the smell of an oily rag services is vital the government should be investing in those because then they're investing in people as well as services it's looking at a people approach instead of a numbers cost benefit mm. analysis type scenario that the people and the impact and what they have in a community and how you know that one person and that's I've had this conversation recently with a couple of my friends is that how one person can change and help shape so many people's lives and I don't think we focus enough on that that one person that is driving that car voluntarily and all of those things it's really impactful for people yeah and, and, you know, it's amazing because I think their motivations to drive the bus or to try and feel that, so it's got nothing to do with status, it's got nothing to do with 
you know, making money. It's not an individualistic type of an idea. It's about trying to trying to help, trying to assist. And they're the people that we should be, you know, really heralding, really um, recognising. Not that not that regularly those people care about that. They don't want the accolades, but we do need to focus on that and give them the kind of, I guess, financial, uh, structural, you know, administrative support that they need to keep those things going in lieu of government actually setting them up themselves. And I understand that government's stretched with uh, finances, but if they don't invest in this or at least recognise that these things are happening, you know, the problem is that those people that are doing this work on the smell of an oily rag often burn out. Mm. You know, that, that often then their health might be affected or, you know, they're, they're trying to carry quite a heavy load. Where's the support? For them, I guess, you know, is you don't want them to burn out and then have to leave the service and no one's there to, to, to pick up the, the mantle, I guess. So, yeah, I think that all these things are really important to focus on. Often it doesn't, it gets drowned out, I guess, in other conversations, especially from bigger, you know, more capital cities or areas where there's a bigger conversation being had about health and, and, and all the other services. Not sure how we change that. You know, I'm not sure how. I think by doing things like this, this is actually one of the, the, the ways in which we do change that. So the ways in which we can get the information out so that governments can hear that and go, okay, we definitely need to invest more in this area. But it's more little changes that I guess being build to the bigger the bigger structural change I guess. I know for instance that it's not feasible to have you flash facilities in tiny small communities absolutely I understand that mm. but like how saying about having that service of transporting people that they don't have to take a bus because if you're sick you don't want to be on a public transport thing or having those sort of facilities of that there's somewhere to stay that's affordable if you need to stay there for extended periods of time to seek treatment or do those things to have it more accessible so then you can obtain care more easily because you know I, I know it, it is hard it's really hard to get care to that you know a lot of people might not be able to afford it or they can't take mm. time off work or who's going to look after their kids that if you can take your kids exactly. with you and stay somewhere and it's affordable and all these things it completely changes how people can access services. Yes and wh whilst we're sort of talking about health that's not the only area that this happens in of course you know if you think about the amount of younger people that are leaving these regional areas to move into capital cities for things like work, and, you know, and further education. You know, that's an area that needs to be looked at as well because then, you know, the, some of these areas essentially become almost like ghost towns, you know, that they, they lose their ability to create industry. So governments need to look at look at that sort of work in, you know, there are people that are trying to build employment opportunities in these smaller regional areas. But if they don't get the support from government to do that, as you have rightly said, you know, we're not looking for the whiz bang, you know, big building. We're looking for areas or, you know, structures that are going to assist in building something from, you know, a really minute sort of area maybe having a town that has a new industry or something innovative there that's different from the rest 
that way you're going to retain people and people aren't going to leave. You don't just have an ageing population in that area. So to me, it's a no-brainer. It makes sense to be doing this kind of work to try and get, you know, these smaller towns, these regional areas built up and to keep the success happening in those towns because we don't want them to disappear. I mean, it's happened before. And we don't want them to, to disappear when like an industry leaves. And we've seen that in some towns where they've had to completely refurbish themselves. They've had to reimagine what their area might look like. And that's quite difficult to start again. So we need to think about those things and think about the people that are doing this work without any assistance, I guess, whatsoever from government. How do you think that we can attract people to, to come to the regions to want to stay here and bring their families and do all that? How do you think that we can sort of shift that mindset? You know, structurally, as I said, that there needs to be, you need to know that there's childcare centres. Like that's one of the first things. Yeah. Um, people need to be able to take their, their kids if they want to work to, you know, to kindy and to childcare centres. But also that needs to be affordable. I mean, you know, my daughter's an adult now, but I, I can't imagine how expensive it must be for people to go, well, we both have to work, but, you know, who's going to look after the kids if, you know, a large proportion of our, our pay is going to go back into childcare. So even looking at, you know, special ways in which, you know, there can be better subsidies in those smaller regions would be fantastic for childcare and then you move to okay you know what's what's happening in the school you know environment in the primary and secondary schools what's happening in vocational training with regards to younger people so if they don't necessarily want to go to university and university isn't for everyone what's happening in the TAFE area and it's great to hear that the Labor government are talking about you know definitely refurbishing TAFE but that needs to happen in those regional areas as well. All of that leads to keeping people there but if they do all of that education and training and then there's nothing for them once they're done of course they're going to leave. So I, I think it's up to councils to work with government as well to talk about what new things can they, you know, encourage in those areas? You know, you've seen some towns sort of refurbish themselves as quite a, you know, a fashionable place to go. There's, you know, a coffee sort of environment there, coffee society. There might be um, a very art-based area in some of these regional towns. And so they're obviously trying to reimagine what could be there in its place. I think that's that's a really good way of encouraging people to stay and building services up so that, you know, people have reason to stay. They don't have to leave because there's not a hospital nearby that can service their needs, I think is a really important thing as well. So all of that leads to, you know, more sustainable, future sustainable regional towns, I think. And it is starting with those people that lives there, asking them what they think they need, you know? Yeah, and I really appreciate that you're looking at it from the whole approach, that you're not just saying, oh, if we fix this one thing, everything will be better. You're looking yeah. at it on all levels, and I really appreciate that. I was having a conversation, I was at a conference thing this week, and somebody was saying something to me, and I was like, oh, yes, but let's say we put more infrastructure there, and I said that means more people, but then we need this. And I was like, what about schools? And they just looked at me, and I was it's really nice that you have this thought process that this 
has a flow on effect and these are the things that we have to do to create this. And I think what's really interesting too is the narrative around these small communities that if you're out speaking publicly about how, you know, your town's dying or there's nothing here, that's working against you. You're not encouraging people to come to your community if you're not speaking Mm. about it in a positive light either. Yeah, yeah, you need to sort of think about what's great about your your areas. And there's some, you know, I mean, I've done a lot of um, sort of road travel and travel through some of these towns and I've gone, this this place is awesome. And, you know, they can't necessarily be be like Tamworth that has like a massive country, you know, music festival every year or, you know, some of these other areas. But there's, there's quite little quirky little things about smaller towns that I think, are fantastic. I mean, we just uh, drove back from Adelaide over the weekend and, you know, passed through the, um, you know, the art silos sort of project. So doing these massive murals on, on grain silos and things like that, you know, that attracts people to come to the town. So what, what sort of things can you herald about your area? And yes, you do need to keep in mind what you know, still needs to be built in that area. But, you know, emphasising what is so great about your town is a great way of encouraging people to come there. I think, you know, with the pandemic having happened, a lot of people were deciding to move out of, you know, bigger areas, capital cities and the like. So what attracts them to come and for a tree change or to, to come to a smaller area where they can still work remotely or they can build, you know, some sort of industry there or some sort of employment? Thinking about that is really important in your specific area because it all is specific to, you know, what you know is good in your town. I think what's really important too is that the people who are in the community know what the community needs and what they could benefit from. It's um, very nice for external people or people in Sydney or Canberra times to say this is what the regions need, but it's have you actually checked in with the people who live out there if they would actually utilise that service or would that be beneficial for them? Exactly. You know, you're the, you're the experts. You know, you're the experts of your town and especially with regards to leadership, that it's it's the local area, the localization of leadership, which is of huge importance because other people coming in might have thoughts, but they have not no lived experience of what it's like to live in Dubbo or to live in, you know, Mittagong or smaller areas that are, you know, are, can be quite unique in their atmosphere and the temperament and, you know, what the people might want and what they need. So local expertise is really important and hearing those voices, I don't think we hear them enough in the uh, bigger areas and I would like to see more regional information getting out there. You know, it shouldn't just be on the landline program on ABC like over the weekend. We, We actually need to hear from regional areas, what they what they need, but also what, what successes are in their area. Exactly. And we really need to, like, there is a lot of doom and gloom and absolutely, but there's also some amazing things that are happening and there's some people that are making change or doing things. But generally speaking, is they are the people maybe that don't need or want recognition. They're just doing it because that's just what, who they are. Yes. But 
that's, I think is, that's great. But if we don't have those conversations, we don't know what's going on. And we, I think it's really important to highlight these wonderful things because yeah, it's, it's amazing what some small communities are achieving, but unless you know somebody who knows somebody or you've been there, it's, it just flies under the radar and we hear all the big celebrity stories or things like that. And that's, yeah, that's great, but I don't care if what somebody's wearing. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's quite interesting that um, I, I think people might have this idea that smaller areas are just full of farms. Yeah. And and all they do is deal with cattle. And yet there's there's even innovation happening in farming in these areas that people don't know about. There's people that are, that are actively thinking about how we work with the changing climate in these country towns. So the fact that that's not being focused on, I mean, I always think of somewhere like Tasmania as a really good example of how they have, sort of pivoted and done some different things because you know now you've got you know a whole bunch of people down there building gin distilleries and and you know sort of cultivating beekeeping and and different things like that and so those things are happening in other areas as well but they're not being focused on so um you know people going in and changing their their cattle i guess from cows to llamas you know (laughs) so you know why why is it that we're not talking about these things and as i said some of these some of these areas are becoming fantastic little artistic hubs and you know there's so much change that's happening in these areas that we should be talking about them more. So I would definitely like to hear more of those stories. I understand that people don't like to blow their own horn. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I, and especially people that are in these areas probably aren't, you know, very good at that because they often get drowned out by the, mm. <laughs> the people in the bigger areas. But it's important to hear those stories. Maybe we just need to invest more in stronger media in those areas as well. That's been an area that's been really gutted, I think over the last maybe five to ten years. So regional media needs to be re-fortified. It can't just be these bigger city areas because regional media is going to tell those regional stories. Oh, absolutely. I think that's too is that like growing up in a regional town is you because you're only exposed to it, you know, a certain amount of jobs and opportunities and like things have shifted more now with technology and things like that but if you're only exposed to a handful of jobs or things like that it's really hard to think oh yeah I could do that and I could go here and but if you can read about somebody who's doing something innovative or they've gone somewhere to learn something and they've come from the country and it really makes you think oh well if they did it maybe I can do that as well but if you don't have that visibility I don't know you just going to do what everybody else has been doing around you forever? Mm, Yes. I mean, I think it's really important to have things to aspire to and those aspirations might be very, very different from what people in bigger areas might aspire to. You know, you you might not necessarily care about, as I said, what celebrities are wearing or what car people are driving or, you know, those sorts of things. Not to say that that's only what people focus on in, in, yeah. in bigger areas you know aspiration or you know in leadership we talk about followership so whether when you're watching something happen and you're seeing somebody do something and you're like wow 
that sounds so fantastic. I want to do stuff like that as well. You know, I want to follow that person's lead. That's where that term comes from. That's of huge importance and we need to focus on that more so that people can see that there are there's difference there's ways in which you can do things differently as well and you can carve out a different life for yourself even if you are in a less populated area than than a capital city i think that's a really important aspect to consider is what you might aspire to doing and how you can make that happen in those regional areas oh honestly i just You gave me chills just then. I really wish I had someone that spoke to us at school growing up and said those things because we got given a textbook and it was like, have a look at this and see what you could do. And it's, and then being from the regional town, it was like, they openly said is that, oh, you want to do that? You won't get that bark in your HSC. So there's really no point doing that. These conversations, oh, I just, I'd love to have people like yourself speak to kids in high school and be like, you can do things and there are options and you don't have to just be doing whatever it is because your family's done it since the beginning of time that it's a big wide world out there and you how do you know who you are when you've never been anywhere else or spoken to anybody outside of your you know community really yeah and I think you know life shouldn't be about lowering people's expectations I mean obviously you have to manage your expectations but I think giving people opportunities to see that there could be something different. It doesn't mean, it might not necessarily even be better, I guess. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't set people up for, you know, for, for, for wanting something that, you know, might not happen. But the, the thing is, is that there's a realm of possibilities out there and you're only limited, I guess, by what you can see as a possibility and what you will really work hard to achieve. You know, when I started at university as a mature age student, as I said, you know, I was, you know, ticking quite a lot of sort of statistical boxes. I, you know, was unwell. I was, you know, a single parent, all that sort of stuff was really difficult. You know, I I, I realised that there would take an element of luck, of opportunity, but a lot of hard work. And so I really focused on that hard work. And, you know, I think other people can do that as well. They can be told that there's a different way of living out there and aspire to doing that. I love that advice. And I just, I want to sing that to everybody (laughs) who will listen because it's just needed to get out there more. Absolutely. I think it's also important to focus on, you know, whilst I talk a lot about Aboriginal women, I think, you know, this applies to everyone. But obviously, as a female, there can be some, I guess there's still some gendered barriers, but we have to try to do our best to push through that. And that's why talking about it is so important. I understand that women aren't good at, as I said, blowing their own horn or saying we do this and we do that. You know, I wouldn't have broken through if I didn't do that. And obviously I try and do it with a little bit of humility, but I I think it's really important to to recognise that, you know, there is still patriarchal systems out, out there. There's still, we still have to, you know, raise children and we still have to, you know, deal with lots of different things that maybe males in some areas don't need to necessarily contend with. And having a support network of other women around you is really important as well because they will keep you fortified 
I guess. So, you know, um, I don't want to deny that there those challenges aren't out there, but, you know, you just build your team around you that are going to, you know, herald you and support you and push you through, I think is of utmost importance to getting to where you want to be. With that, again, having your group of supportive people around you, how do you think women can best support one another? I think, you know, it is once again in that conversation level. You know, I I know when I was studying, I had a number of female friends, but I had one in particular where (laughs) we would get together and go uh, do some water aerobics, which really just consisted of us bobbing around in the water. And then we'd go and have lunch afterwards and and talk for hours about our, our sort of mutual journeys. And those conversations are worth their weight in gold, I think. So just starting by having conversation and, and don't be afraid to reach out. Whether it's, you know, I say this to a lot of allies that may want to really support Aboriginal women, don't be afraid to have those conversations or introduce yourself and, and get to know each other's story because that's how we, we change society is, is by talking. So having those conversations with lots of different women, there might be, you know, a number of sort of migrant women that have moved to your area and, you know, honestly, you'll be further enriched by hearing their stories and they will support you, you know, to the end. So I, I think those conversations are really important. Search them out, build rapport with people so that you know what's happening in their lives and in their journeys, I think, yeah. Do that work because it, you will be forever, I guess, in its debt. You will forever be nurtured by having conversations with people. I don't think we do that enough in society as a whole. No, and I'm all for it. I think having conversations just brings a whole nother level of understanding and you have the opportunity to ask questions and engage in something you wouldn't be able to do by just reading about something. You know, I, I just thinking back to us driving back from Adelaide over the weekend and we stopped in at Horsham and had breakfast. And, you know, if you go to a cafe in some other areas, you know, people just sort of sit and talk amongst themselves. They're not having conversations with, with strangers. But what I loved about visiting there was that there were people sitting beside us that struck up conversations with us. Yeah. And that that means I remembered it. I, I It had a resonance for me. It had some sort of power I got to hear about, just about their everyday lives. That was great. Sometimes that doesn't happen in, in bigger cities. You know, people are sort of in their own insular worlds. And I think going to these smaller regional areas is so much benefit because you do get to just hear the everyday stories and conversations. It's so, so important. So I think encourage that further in your town, but also for people that might be listening that live in these bigger bigger cities, get out there and visit some of these places because you'll be enriched by them. I I know that we've been chatting for a while, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. I've got two more questions I I really want to ask you. Um, And... The second last one is, what do you wish you knew when you were younger? Oh, so much. (laughs) But I think the most important thing is to think about 
you know, in, in, in Aboriginal society, we talk a lot about self-determination. We talk about sovereignty. What I like to think about is don't feel powerless. You have inner power. You have inner strength that you might not even realise, that you might not yet feel, but you'll grow into. And believe, like, you know, if you can build... The things that I didn't have when I was younger is self-belief. I had such little belief that I could achieve things. And the best win I ever gave myself, you know, is believing I could and, and, and giving it a go. So all throughout my PhD, I told myself, feel the fear and do it anyway. You know, just think that you know, the fear is going to be there. The trepidation is going to be there. But just do it anyway. Just push that out of your mind and just do it. Believe in yourself and feel your inner power and you will be able to push through and achieve just about anything. Oh, that is that is beautiful advice. I think we can all resonate with that, that, that self-belief is definitely something that I think a lot of women struggle with, to be honest, isn't it? Yep. Yes, definitely. And then my, my last question, which I'm very interested in how you are going to answer this, but what are you most proud of accomplishing? Oh, you know, it's, it, for me, it's once again in those, those things that might seem little from the outset that are huge. It's being able to talk to a younger uh, student or a younger woman, you know, be they um, an Aboriginal woman, be, be, be they non-Aboriginal, and give them just some tiny little nugget that will stay in their mind and give them some some strength that will empower them to feel like they can make a difference. That's worth more than, you know, as you can probably see from my academic life, I haven't haven't gone for, you know, promotions or, um, you know, those sorts of things aren't really important. What's important is that you can make a difference in someone's life just by having a conversation with them. And it's amazing what lessons you can learn uh, from just having those conversations. And so it's been fantastic to me that some students that I may have met, you know, really early on in my career, I still have a relationship with and I still have conversations and they can ring me at any time and we can have a yarn about what's happening in their lives or they might ask me for advice. That's worth more than a big salary. It's worth more than a job. It's knowing that you've had a, a difference, you've made a difference to an individual. That's the big uh, nugget, the big win for me, the trophy, is that I've been able to do that. Yeah, you've been able to create and maintain some beautiful connections that, you know, have benefited and helped shape so many people. So, oh, I just, oh, I'm in awe of you, so... Oh, I just I really enjoy just speaking with to you and reading your work. It's just really, really refreshing to hear your approach and outlook. It's really lovely. So thank you. I guess if was there anything that you think or you'd like to add or anything before? No, I I guess I just want to say thank you because you know, once again, these these are the gifts that get given back 
you know, to to me as a person is having these conversations and knowing that people are interested. You know, you st you still do that thing when you think, well, why would people want to know what I say or what I write about? And knowing that it has an impact is once again worth more than the other things that people necessarily go for. But I think too, like reminding people out there that are listening that that you know we are interested in regional stories. We are interested in the women that are doing this work, you know, even if they don't want to promote themselves, we'd like to hear more of just what they're doing. So it doesn't have to be them shouting from the rooftops, but we want to hear those stories. And I think the rest of the country needs to hear those stories so that it isn't just focused on the main areas. So please keep communicating with us and talking. That was our fourth episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week, same time, same place for our next instalment. We have some brilliant episodes coming up, so keep a lookout on our socials for sneak peeks. You'll hear from us soon.